0: So the Buddha um, taught an eightfold path uh, that leads to freedom, to peace of the heart, of the mind, and um, a peace and happiness that um, is there regardless of the conditions in our lives, regardless of the conditions in the world. And, um, in the West, you know, most of us, um, you know, begin the path here by learning meditation, uh, which is one part of the path. You know, there there's uh, eight steps in the path, and um, kind of broken up into like three categories: right, wisdom, virtue, and meditation. And uh, we talked about virtue yesterday, you know, that basically the kind of five precepts summarize the, the ethics of the path, the importance of, uh, of speech and importance of our actions. And um, meditation, you're all doing a lot of it, this retreat, and so getting lots of practice with it. And so I want to address the wisdom side of things. Um, and it's not, a, it's not separate from the rest. No part of the path. You know, people kind of teach us, oh, these are eight steps, but it's not like eight steps that you take one at a time, but they all affect each other. Um, for instance, you can't do any of the steps if you're not mindful. You know, mindfulness is necessary to know whether you're, you're, you're living, whether your behavior is uh, helpful or not helpful. Um, uh, so each each part of the path kind of affects very deeply the other parts of the path. Um, so the two parts of, the, of wisdom are uh, usually thought of as right uh, view and right intention, or resolve is another word that's used. And you can sort of think of right view as um, kind of where you stand when you look at something. Uh, for instance, uh, if you stand on a mountaintop and look down at the river, you know, um, you get it's one view. But if you um, go down to where the trees are, you, you've seen, you've heard this uh, phrase, you can't see the forest for the trees, right? You know, it's, it's a very different view. And so you might be um, about to drink from this uh, stream, you're really thirsty, about to take a drink, but you stand at the mountaintop and you go, oh, somebody's doing laundry just upstream. You know, so the view gives you the wider perspective. Um, and, um, you know, the view, right view is like where we come from, where we live our lives from. You know, do we live our lives from trying to fulfill our desires all the time? You know, they're they're kind of never ending, right? You know, the moment, um, you know, you're really hungry and you want to eat, right? And then you kind of stuff yourself a bit and, and then you're no longer hungry, right? But now, now it's like, uh, well, now I want to do something entertaining, you know, and then you kind of, you know, go watch a movie. And now what do you do? You know, oh, I'll get a snack. Oh, now what do I do? I'll call someone. You know, it's like this constant, you know, I've got to get what I want, get what I want, get what I want. Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Is it too this, too that, you know? And, and that's one way of living our lives. And really most of us have been living our lives that way. And it's a way that's continuously needing things to be the way we want them. But the truth of life is that half of what we get—I mean, I don't know how you weigh it—but but if you look really carefully, you notice much of the time we don't get what we want. Um, so we're always trying to manipulate our environment. You know, in in this culture, we've gotten so—it's um, uh, become the the what's expected of us to manipulate our environment. You know, we've got an air conditioner, so the temperature never varies too much. And you know the heaters, so we've got this little narrow range of what's comfortable. We've actually reduced our capacity. Um, you know, in other cultures that didn't have all these uh, conveniences, the body was actually much more resilient. Uh, but we've just narrowed it, so they have this very narrow of you know. I want the coffee has to be just the right temperature, just the right amount of cream, just the. In fact, that brand isn't quite good enough. I need this brand, you know. And, and we've gotten this really very, very uh, picky at trying to get what we want all the time. Um, so right view can be some, the whole path can be summarized. If you cling, you suffer. And if you watch yourself during any of these meditations, any moment where you're you're really not at peace, you know, there's clinging going on. And that's what's really, um, you know, and that's really what we address in the past. And so what review um, is about is having at the center of your life that concept that, oh, clinging leads to suffering. I want, I want to move in my life in the direction of letting go of clinging, letting go of craving, letting go of having to have things, constantly having to have things the way I want them. And being at peace with things the way they are. It doesn't mean we don't try to improve things, you know. For instance, you know, we want the world to be better than it is. You know, we want things to be, uh, uh, for people to be fed, for people to um, have um, good lives. We want these things to be better, and and that's great. But if we're not at peace when we work for things to be better, we're just bringing some angry. Uh, anxious energy into the process that's unnecessary and makes us not uh, um, negotiate with people as cleanly as we could, as peacefully as we could, and as effectively as we could. Um, <clears throat> the other part of um, wise view is the real understanding that all our actions, okay so actions of the body, of thought, and of speech have consequences. And what I mean by that is that um, um, it's obvious that if you if you punch somebody, there's going to be a consequence, right? Actions of the body are a little bit more obvious. Um, but actions of the mind um, are actions of, or thoughts. Uh, so if we're in the habit of looking at people Like, look what's wrong with them, and look what's wrong with them, and look what's wrong with them. You know, if we're always in the habit of doing that, um, uh, we're—it has a consequence. It makes our minds much more prone to being critical. The more we practice being critical, the more critical we become. It's just like the—the more you practice swinging a hammer, the better you get at it. So you can either practice being, um, you know, being kind or you can practice being critical to ourselves, to others. So our thoughts have consequences, and sometimes we don't realize the consequences of our inner voices. When we look at things from uh, the perspective of letting go of clinging, uh, that everything we do Uh, actually creates the conditions uh, that either bring us towards happiness or they bring us towards more suffering. So there isn't anything we do that doesn't go in one of those directions. Um, I mean, we can be cutting vegetables, right, which seems like a wholesome activity. And we can be doing so. damn, I'm I'm making this for these people I really don't want to make this for, you know, and your attitude's like that. So you might be making with, what appears in the surface to be this wonderful meal but um, but your heart is being conditioned towards suffering, so every thought matters, and that's what's amazing and you know at first, it feels like, whoa, I look at the thoughts I had today, you know, but as we become more and more mindful um, we we start creating new habit patterns in our minds um, <clears throat> I'll go back to that in a minute, but um, <clears throat> so our, um, our intentions can be seen as the bridge between our view and our actions. And when might mean by that, like if our view is to let go of clinging, um, our intention might be to let go. You know, I'm, I plan to, like let's say um, uh, you get to lunch and they just serve your least favorite thing, right? And your mind gets kind of, oh, you know, I don't like this, you know. And you're kind of clinging to the idea, how could they serve this? You know, I mean, this is a retreat. Don't they know that people don't like this? You know, all these things might be going through your head. And um, so the mind, you know, you remember that, oh, but my intention is to let go of clinging. That's my intention. And so then you start softening around that and, and beginning to let that go. Uh, if your intention is to get what you want, because your view is, I've got to get what I want as often as possible, that's what life's about then, yeah, you're going to, you know, worry about it, and you go, well, I'm going to write a note to that cook. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make this change, you know, and, you know, maybe I'll order um, some pizza while nobody's noticing, you know. Um, Actually, uh, there was one one three-month retreat uh, back east, you know, uh, this many years ago, where this one person, he was just so convinced that he could only get a pizza You know, it'd been two months without pizza. That was real suffering for him. And um, you know, if he could only get a pizza, you know, then everything would be okay. Then everything. And so this retreat center happens to be how far from anywhere? You know, it's it's like um, the closest town. It's a very tiny town. You know, it's it's you know, ten I don't know five miles maybe. And um, and he ordered pizza in the middle of the retreat, you know, and you know they came and delivered it, you know, and and you know what didn't make him happy. (laughs) He ate it, and and that was it. And then you know the mind continued its restlessness. Um, um, So intentions are the bridge, and so that's what I'm going to be addressing now, you know, and in the Buddhist uh, thought you know, uh, there are like three wise intentions. Uh, The intention to renunciation, which is kind of a heavy word in the West, you know, but really renunciation is letting go. Uh, And for instance, um, uh, the difference between renunciation and letting go is commitment. At least that's how I see that. So for instance, um, you know, I might renounce sugar. I'm not going to eat sugar anymore. That's a commitment, right? Um, But I might have been tempted to eat it about a thousand times, you know, and most of the time I'd say, no, no, I've committed to letting go, you know, but each time I have to let go newly, let go, let go, let go. Um, So, um, you know, or maybe gossip, for instance, you know. at, At one point, you know, I committed myself to, to, um, to not gossiping anymore, which is a huge part of my life, you know, which is how I bonded with my friends, you know? And, um, you know, it's a lot of fun. It was just, you know, um, and, and, but I saw the harm that it caused me and it caused others, you know? And, and so I decided, okay, this is a commitment, a life commitment I'm making. And it's not that once I made the commitment, I absolutely stopped gossiping, but, um, you know, uh, each time I let go and let go, creating new habits in my mind, with less and less tendency uh, to gossip in a way that's harmful to myself or to others. Um, you know, it's um, you know wise intention. You know, for instance. Um, so, so I just want to mention the other two wise intentions. There's renunciation. Um, and there's goodwill, or I like to think of it as kindness, um, and, um, and harmlessness. Um, and I want to go back a little bit more to letting go of renunciation. Um, <clears throat> let's say you made plans with a friend. And you're gonna have lunch at, at this really nice restaurant. You made reservations, and you know you get to the restaurant. You're kind of looking around for your friend, and you get a call. You know, and they say, "You know, I'm kind of tired. Let's reschedule." You know, no p- apology or anything. Just kind of, yeah, let's reschedule. Like, no big deal. And you know, you haven't seen them in two years, and changed your work to make this happen, and and you go, okay, you know, but you're really pissed, you know. And or maybe you are, maybe you're not, you know. Uh, But you know, so how do you feel? How do you feel when that happens? And like, let's say you are really pissed or resentful or hurt, Um, you know, like, um, do you support that? Uh, Do you uh, feed it with a story? You know, do you say this person's a horrible friend, never talk to them again, and how could they do that? You go on and on, you tell all your friends. You know, if that's one way of, like, you make a story out of it. Um, And, you know, maybe you just never enjoy your lunch because you're you're just kind of revving yourself up constantly. Um, um, Or maybe turn it inward. Oh, they don't think I'm important. You know, and maybe go down a cascade of, you know, self, uh, you know, putting down on yourself. You know, it's like, oh, I'm not lovable. People don't like me. You know, and it go, it can go on for some of us. You know, so these are stories. These are stories we tell. What happened is our friend canceled on us. Um, you know, we we don't know exactly why, but um, but it, it hurt. You know, that's the truth of it. It hurt. And if we can be with our hurt, or or if we're angry, be with our anger and allow it to be there, to move through us. It doesn't have to go away, but our intention is to let go of the anger and not create more pain, not create more suffering. And when we do that, we might feel the anger, we might feel sadness, we might feel hurt. It depends on our conditioning. And it moves through us. We don't have them. If we allow it, we don't have much control, it just does what it wants to do, and we just stay mindful of it, and then it kind of lets go of itself. But if then, a minute later, you know, you call somebody and you say, you know what so-and-so did to me? It's like it just happened all over again. You re-traumatize yourself each time you tell it, and you make it stronger, <coughs> more and more solid. Um, and so letting go is an attitude, an attitude we can have uh, towards, um, towards our whole lives. You know, um, you can have a commitment to a specific thing, like I mentioned, you know, uh, letting go of sugar, letting go of gossiping. They're very specific, but much more uh, valuable and much more subtle and much more challenging is having a commitment to have letting go be at the heart of how you do everything in your life. So that regardless of what happens in your life, your general attitude is to let go, to let to accept it, to let it go, to let it be the way it is. And um, that's a real practice and a path to freedom. And so almost any state, like here we are, it's a first day of retreat. How many of you here were sleepy for a little bit? Right. You know, very often people first day have have significant sleepiness, you know, not everybody, but quite a few people. And, you know, it's normal and everything. But what do you do with it? How do you how do you feel when you're sleepy? Do you get bummed out? Do you you know, it's like, oh, I'm a bad meditator. I can't stay awake, you know, and, um, you know, I, you know, I'm wasting the day, you know, and, and um, you know, do, do you you know, what's your attitude towards it? You know, or do you um, uh, let go of the fact that, you know let go of the story that you're a bad meditator you can't do this or this is hard or whatever go oh this this is how being sleepy feels. Can we be curious about it and then you get sleepy again and bring up a little curiosity, a little interest a little bit of uh, you know what really happens you know um, the first time that I allowed myself, uh, to really pay attention to my sleepiness um, well, maybe not the first time but but close to that um, I noticed you know because it was happening a lot you know I like kind of be meditating and then you know I and you nod, you know, kind of nod forward and chirp back you know I think you're familiar with that and um, and I started noticing that right before I got really sleepy, I started getting nonsensical, images arise, you know, they were like kind of little pieces that made no sense, you know, sometimes words, sometimes visual, you know, it just kind of seemed out of the blue nonsensical. They seemed like dreams, but I was still awake. And I I named them dreamlets. And for me, that really helped me. Oh, a dreamlet, you know, and it was like right before I got ultra sleepy. And that was to me the key to not going in that pathway. And, um, you know, and then I started noticing that one of the things that made it, made me sleepy was if um, I was, you know, meditating and it didn't feel like much was going on. You know, it's like, yeah, I've been watching my breath. Not much is going on. And, and, oh, I'm getting relaxed. You're getting a little calm. And then we associate calm with sleepiness, you know. And some of us are just sleepy from working hard, too hard, you know, being too stimulated. But but so I started noticing these things. You know, I started noticing a lot more when I started letting go of the idea that it was wrong to be sleepy. You know, and started turning my attention to the difficult. But that's what we do in this practice. Something's difficult, you don't try to change it, you turn your attention to it, you try to get to know it, you try to understand it. You might change it, but just giving it your attention transforms most things. Just no noticing what it is. Just like um, Max was mentioning, imposture earlier. You know, you if you pay attention to your posture, you might notice how you're holding your shoulders up by your ears over and over again. Okay, it's time to let it go. You know, so we turn towards the difficulty, um, and you know, I remember talking to one of my students. You know, and um, and. Uh, I forget what it was that he was having a lot of trouble with, you know. And I said, "Well, just turn your attention to it." He said, "That too, <laughs> you know." It's like, no, no, that should change. You know, he shouldn't treat them mindfully. That needs to change, you know. And um, you know, so it's it's interesting how that that our minds, you know, go. You know, we'll have this kind of sacred areas that, and those those don't get touched. Those don't get looked at, you know. And uh, in some areas, we're much more open to explore. We talk about virtue, for instance. you know, it's really good to do good things. You know, and uh, but why we do good things, what well, we what well, we think of, of as good things, is important. And that's again where intention comes in. You know, why do we? Um, let's say, uh, you know, we feed the ne- we help the next door neighbor when they're hurt, and we you know bring them a meal, right? You know, and which is a very sweet thing to do, and. Um, you know, we might do it because we, you know, God, you know, you know, they're suffering. And just, just like me, you know, I don't want them to suffer. And, and so, you know, this will make them happy. And it just comes out of joy of wanting to help someone. It's a natural, heartfelt thing. Um, But you, some people can also do it, you know, I'm a you know, good whatever religion you they belong to, and say, and therefore I have to do that, you know, kind of a martyr, martyr attitude. And I'm really tired, but I'm gonna do this because otherwise I'm not a good person. You know, it's the same action. And even if you're doing it from that place, still do it, please. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, it's not training the heart in the right direction, in the direction of, of happiness. Um, of, a, of, of a heart that responds to the situations like that just naturally and easily. Sometimes we do things if we feel guilty, you know. So again, it's not that we don't do the, the right thing because, um, oh, I feel guilty, therefore I'm not going to do the, the right thing. But it, those are areas in our heart to explore. You know, we feel guilty, we do not feel at peace, Right. So if we're feeling guilty and we're doing something out of guilt, can we explore the, those feelings, those, uh, those qualities of heart that are contracted? It doesn't mean we don't have the love and compassion in us. It just means that, yeah, there's guilt. Guilt arose. Um, and one thing about renunciation. Um, renunciation is to let go or give something up. Now giving something up is not always easy. Sometimes it feels unpleasant. Um, You know, like for instance, um, um, like let's say um, uh, you're cleaning out a closet, you know, and like you have all this stuff, you know, and you have no more room for anything, you know. And you want to, you know, you really know that it would be much better off if you clean it out, get rid of a bunch of stuff. But you've got all this attachment, you know, it's like, oh, I bought that screwdriver. I know it doesn't work so well, but, you know, I bought it 20 years ago at this little hardware store that no longer exists. And got all this emotional ideas attached to it, you know. And, oh, it's going to, I don't really want to let go of it, you know. Um you know, or in this uh, old badminton racket you haven't played for twenty years, you know, and oh, maybe you know if I when I'm eighty, I'll play again, you know, <laughs> and um, you know, so all these things that that arise, you know, and so it's it's not easy sometimes, you know, you, you know, oh, I want to let go of that, I want to let go of that, you know, and um but you know then you finally let it go, and it's like there's this feeling of lightness, it's like, oh, wow, look look at that. We've got space, breathable space, oh, look, I can find things. I can actually find my tools now. You know, I can find what I need, you know. And so, so there's some lightness that comes of it. You know, if we let go of something and don't feel a certain lightness with it, then we, there's something to really investigate. Because letting go gives us a certain freedom. Some way, one way or the other, we feel, we feel the freedom of heart. You know, for example... Um, one of the things that's sometimes very hard to let go of is anger. Um, and, um, you know, especially when it's um, uh, righteous anger where you, you know you're right, you know? And, um, you know, and I've, I've caught myself, you know, where I was like really into this anger, you know, and and I definitely was in the right, this right person had done something wrong, and I was right, you know, and I was really holding on to it. And it came to me in the moment, you know, I was practicing, and and that I, oh, I want to let go of that anger. You know, that's what I'm supposed to do right now. And I found myself really did not want to let go of the anger. But what I noticed as I slightly turned to it was the enjoyment I had of the anger. Because even though anger is painful, You know, there's a component of power that it gives you that's very addictive to some people, that's very enticing sometimes. And, um, like, if you're feeling weak, for instance, or hurt, anger gives you power. You know, you're actually physically stronger when you're angry. You know, it's just like you're afraid. When you're afraid, you know, you get physically stronger to run away from the tiger. You know, you've got to be stronger. So, you know, the mother who, you've all heard for the mother who was able to lift the back of her car uh, to save her son. Uh, You know, that's a lot of fear, you know, a lot of strong emotion. You know, so so there's something about that about that um, that's very enticing. And for me to, um, you know, what I had to do with that kind of anger, I was so attached to it. I saw that, boy, I don't want to let go of that, was, you know, to trust that, you know, I've made a commitment to let this go, you know, to, to not feed it, to not nurture it. And I trust that that commitment right now, I'm going to lean in that direction. You know, and um, I just then let it go, and it just kind of slowly, slowly faded, um, and it allowed it to be my body, allowed it to move through me. Uh, I didn't like to try to force it, and that's really the the thing I want to mention. Really, is that we can't force ourselves to let go. Um, you know, it's like you take a flower, um, a flower bud. You know, if you can't rip open the petals, you know that doesn't work. You have to. Give it the conditions so it will bloom. And in the same way, you know, um, uh, what I did with the anger is I gave it the, the suggestion, the idea that really my practice is about letting go. I reminded myself that and then I allowed it to do its thing. I didn't repress the anger. I didn't push it away. I didn't make myself wrong for it. I just saw it for what it was. It was a strong emotion. I saw my attachment, uh, the power, and I just um, allowed it to let itself go, to free it from my own ideas um, and to trust that. You know how um, um, You know many of you have been able to do this where you... Uh, no, you have to get up in the morning at a certain time, you know, and you set the alarm clock and you wake up right before it. You know, that's like you set an intention, and look what happens. And so the same thing, when we set an intention to let go of clinging, and we keep that close to our hearts, um, it kind of starts showing up, you know. you it, The more you, you kind of keep that close to you, the more and more that shows up. And um, The Buddha said, um, if one sees that a greater happiness is found by letting go of a lesser one, the wise person will let go of the lesser happiness. So much greater happiness than the power of anger is the power of peace, much greater happiness. One of the things that I find really interesting <clears throat> is that um, <clears throat> sometimes we can we can cling just as much to minor things as to major things. I've seen people more upset about um, their spouse leaving clothes on the floor as having a car accident. Um, you know, and I don't know if you've experienced that, you know, that, you know, that these little things, you know, I've seen people really upset about they squeeze the toothpaste wrong, you know, those kind of things, you know, in in relationships, you see those things come up, you know, how could you, you know, squeeze the toothpaste that way, you know, and, and it seems really important. It seems really important, you know, you know, and the battle of the, of, of the, um, You know of the toilet, you know toilet seat up or down and you know, how did you leave it and you know And these things you know, oops, I fell into the toilet, you know, how could you do this? You know all those little things we can get so hooked into so hooked into But the process is the same, you know, same thing happens in our hearts called clinging So the, the steps to letting go, you know when you get stuck you know, sometimes it's uh, helpful to just remember, okay, there's a way to approach this tight clinging in my heart right now. And the first thing to do is to accept that it's there. Because if we don't accept that it's there, uh, we can't work with it. You know, for instance, um, like let's say you have a, a huge mess on your desk. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced that. We've got piles, you know, piles you haven't dealt with, procrastinated. And you look at it and every time you look at it, you recoil from it and go do something else because it just seems an unsurmountable pile. And, um, you know, and so you look at it and the feeling is that, oh, God, it's terrible. How could I let it go that way? All whatever negative stuff might happen. So all the energy of the mind is going into aversion, into um, you know, pushing away, resistance to it. And you have no energy left for actually doing something useful. So by accepting it, okay, this is a big mess, okay, this is going to take a lot of work, okay. And then your mind isn't fighting it anymore. Your mind can just shift its energy to actually addressing it one at a time, it shows up, just, just what's in front of us. This, what's in front of us? Let's do this, let's do the next thing. Um, so accepting the situation is, is the first step to allowing us to, to do something, to do what's w- uh, wise and skillful, um, to get to know what's happening, to understand what's happening, and you know, and same thing you'll find when you're meditating, you know, if um. If your energy is spent uh, judging yourself, you know or judging other people for making noise or or you know whatever it is your mind is doing, um, instead of accepting the moment the way it is, uh, um, you can't get curious and interested because what's really happening is you're resistant. You know you're you're judging, you're pushing away the moment you're saying, you know, often when you're sitting meditation and, and you don't want it the way it is, you know, and you're looking for, um, for to end, you know, how much longer, really pay attention to that moment, you know, because otherwise you're saying this moment isn't worth living. This moment right now is not worth living. And every moment is worth living. So how do we Turn towards that? Can we turn towards that difficult moment? And it's interesting, it's much easier to turn towards pain, exploring pain or strong anger emotion, but like a moment that's kind of, you're kind of bored and irritable and, and just, you know, or grumpy. Just a little, it's these mild, irrit, irritable, you know, bored type feelings that we tend to actually have a harder time with um, because there's, they're not so juicy, you know, to, to kind of jump into it and explore, you know, and some people go looking for real problem, you know. Um, and so, you know, it, it, I find it, uh, like boredom, one of the most interesting parts of practice, because um, the moment that you actually start exploring bo- your boredom, when you experience boredom, it begins to transform it. It's this really beautiful uh, uh, example of practice because uh, if you get interested in your boredom, guess what? You know, it changes, it changes, becomes something else. And so again, we turn towards the difficult, but you have to recognize it as something worth turning to. And so often we don't realize we're clinging you know, and especially in these low level type states where they're like kind of low energy and you know, you know, we're like spending all this oh restless how much longer. What are you clinging to? You are you are clinging then. You know, you want something, I wanna be either having a good experience or I wanna eat or I wanna, you know, something more interesting. You're wanting something, you know, you're clinging to wanting it to be different than it is. So we turn towards it. Ah, this is what boredom is like. This is what irritation is like. Whatever it is, we can turn towards it and transform it into um, a moment worthy of your mindfulness. Every moment worthy of your mindfulness. I want to say a little bit more. You know, like I said, the the first thing is uh, accepting, um, accepting that we're clinging, accepting the situation. Um, but the next part of letting go is shifting from the story we tell about our situation to the experience we're actually having. And it's very different. For instance, um, um, I. I for this This experience left a lot in my mind. I think um, Max talked about a similar one at the same retreat center, I think. but uh, um, it was my first three month retreat, and I was really excited. I planned everything. you know it was a huge thing for me. And um, you know, after the first week, uh, all of a sudden, there's a jackhammer right outside the window, which went on for week after week after week. And they were making some brick wall, and and uh, I mean, I don't know what they were doing. And I was so angry, um, you know, because you know here I, you know, I paid them good money, and I took all this time, and you know, and it's like gonna ruin my whole retreat, you know. And I spent just um, a lot of time on the story of how it shouldn't be the way it is. It shouldn't be this way, and it shouldn't be, you know. And maybe, should, you know, maybe it was a really wrong thing for them to do. But but the issue was, I was meditating, I was doing the retreat. And I can't tell you how long it took me for me to begin to get interested in my situation. <laughs> I was so caught. I was just caught, you know. And and finally, you know, a little opening came from all the sitting all day. You know, where I finally allowed myself to just look at my own experience and really begin to examine my my suffering and my clinging, and my and I didn't even notice when it stopped being a problem. I mean, I went a whole day, and it finally occurred to me: Oh, oh, there's a jackhammer outside the window. Oh, that's interesting, you know. And nothing, nothing, nothing got caught, you know. And um, I didn't notice when it went away, you know, which was it, it amazing. I didn't notice, you know, but but it was just um, you know it came from turning towards it. And really watching, because my real experience was not that there was a, um, a camera outside the window and that they, they messed up. That's a story about it. The real experience, there was noise that was unpleasant. And the things that arose in me was it's not fair, it's not right. It's not the way it should be. You know, this belief that things shouldn't be the way they are. And... Um, which which is one of the things that, that it, sometimes we get really caught at is what our beliefs are about things. Sometimes we have these really, really strong beliefs that shape our experience so strongly. And, you know, one of the beliefs that just feels like it ruled so much of my life is the belief that things should be fair, you know. And, and I just fought my whole life for things to be fair. I mean, when I was in... in high school, I was a nightmare to my teachers, you know, I was, I was like always fighting with them because they weren't fair, you know, I mean, school wasn't fair, you know, and so it's always in college, you know, and, and same thing, always fighting, 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 you know, and, and, uh, and finally, you know, on, you know, it was during a retreat where I actually just saw that aspect of my mind that so believes that life should be fair. And it just isn't, it just isn't. And actually, by, by really accepting that life isn't fair, it, it actually allows me to help make things more fair because I'm not so rattled by it. I'm not so blinded by, by all that anger and resentment. Uh, so I'm able to actually take action that's wise, that helps make things better. Um, so back to the story the experience and you know again sometimes that's a little vague for people and so um, the easiest place to let go is the body because the body is always here if you pay attention even when you're really angry or you're really scared the body there's a lot happening in the body and it can really ground you it gives you a place to start this is how the body feels, and this is now, this is here. You, know, you don't have to go finding all these, oh, what's my belief, what's this, what's that? No, I just go to the body, this is where it is, this is what's happening right now. And then if you're really settled in the body, you relax what you can relax, uh, then maybe you examine you know, uh, you know, if there's ideas that, that keep popping you know, in your mind. You know, but it, it becomes a lot more clear when the body's more settled. Um, another, uh, example that some of you might relate to, there was, um, a friend of mine who was a longtime meditator and who had done quite a few retreats and he always like would, you know, he often felt like kind of, um, you know, I've gone to all these retreats and I feel like I'm not making progress. And he was kind of, you know, a little bit disappointed, you know, and, and, um, you know, he would sit on the floor and, and every sitting was like a little bit of, um, an exercise challenge for him every single sitting, because his body was, wasn't really that well adapted to sitting on the floor. And even with all the retreats, it just never quite really adapted. And finally, one of the teachers, after many teachers said this to him, but one teacher finally got through to him, he said, OK, I'll try a chair. But he really believed you couldn't meditate in a chair. He had this belief from somewhere in the past that you can't really be a real meditator in a chair. And he did, and he got really deeply concentrated. And then from then on, his retreats, he just felt like they just blossomed and blossomed. And it was all one belief, one belief he had. And uh, so it's, you know, one of the things I love to say is, don't believe everything you think. Yeah, we think a lot of stupid things, a lot of, you know, useless things. So, so it really helps to question those, those things inside us. You know, there's, uh, we're talking about this topic. I really like to, um, uh, you know, this is a little, you know, Buddhist story that uh, m- many of you I know have heard, but I'll tell it anyways because I, I love this little story. And it's about these, um, you know, two monks that are crossing a stream a senior monk and a junior monk. And um, they see a, a woman carrying a basket. you know she's you know got skirts and wearing skirts, and she's trying to cross a stream, you know. And so the senior monk goes over to her and picks her up and carries her across the stream and gets to the other side. And then they just keep walking on their way. And you know, about you know a mile later, you know, the young monk is fuming, you know. <clears throat> Uh, he's he's really, you know, upset, you know, and he just finally finally says something. He says, you know, we made a vow not to touch women, and, you know, and here you go, you know, and you picked her up and you touched her, you touched a woman, you know. And he said, um, you know, oh, are you still carrying her? I dropped her off a mile ago, <laughs> you know. So, so it's, you know, recognizing or clinging, you know, letting it go. I just want to say um, a couple of, a few things about the um, goodwill and harmlessness. You know, I focused mostly on the letting go side of things, which in a way, I think sometimes that's really um, a lot of first day of retreat for me has always been about letting go, you know, letting go of, of resistance, of aversion, of, of desire, you know, so, um, so, you know, and therefore my focus is more on letting go, but. Um, the intentions of goodwill and harmlessness are equally as important. Um, You know, I'd uh, I'd say that goodwill is more um, kind of of the feeling you have towards, um, you know, wishing someone well, and harmlessness is about your actions. You know, so for instance, um, uh, let's say, uh, you know, you... um, uh, you have goodwill towards the environment. You want the environment to be in really good shape, but maybe driving, riding a bicycle sometimes can be, the, you know, harmlessness uh, as opposed to just wanting things to be better. But you know, you do something. But it's that wanting things to be better that might make you want to drive the bicycle, uh, ride the bicycle, <laughs> um, or the other way around. You know, it's um, you know wishing someone like. Um, um, you know like sometimes a particular politician um, ill will you know as opposed to uh, you know trying to do something physically and harm them you know it's very you know one's harmlessness one is ill will you know so so they're very interrelated though you know it's a really same part of the heart it's just whether you act it out or not um, There's um, another little story. There's a Native American story. Um, you know, I keep hearing different roots of it, so I won't attribute it to anybody. Um, and again, it's a very com- you know, commonly used story, but it also uh, really addresses what we've been talking about. It's about um, um, a grandfather and a young son, you know, and um, uh, he tells the boy that he has two wolves inside him fighting. You know, one is the wolf of peace and love, and the other one is of anger and ill will. And you know, greed and hatred is what he said. You know, and uh, and the the young boy says, uh, which one is going to win? You know, and he says, whichever one I feed. You know, and so this is about our intention. What is our intention? What do we want to feed in ourselves? And. Um, one of the phrases that really caught my attention and I just sat a retreat uh, a few weeks ago um, and um, is the idea of looking at our whole experience with eyes of kindness you know so you know when we're sitting there kind of struggling with our experience, can we look at that with eyes of kindness and can we look at other people with eyes of kindness? you know, this is what wise intention is, you know, it may not always be easy, but, but, you know, it's, it's not as, you know, it's like, we're not looking at, uh, looking at, um, like, let's say somebody's really bugging us, you know, we're not just saying, okay, love them, you know, it's like, no, 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 that's, you know, I can't just love them, but eyes of kindness, you know, like, okay, can I bring my, just a little gentle kindness here it, it's kind of a uh, an easy gradient that comes that tends to come much easier for us and um, but it's a powerful thing it's a powerful thing to view ourselves at every point of, of challenge with kindness and just um, the last thing I, I want to say is um, have you ever broken a habit? How many of you have broken a habit once? You know, quite a few of you, you know, I'd say most of you, you know, like um, I had a habit of, a really complex habit of taking my split ends in my hair, I always had split ends, you know, and I would just rip them apart because they'd split at the end and you could just actually rip them apart. And I could do that for hours. You know, as you know, when I was a kid, if I was watching TV, I would do that. If I was talking to a friend, I would do that. It's just a really compulsive habit, you know. And um, and uh, you know, and I did break it, you know. And it was a huge habit. And I remember, you know, um, you know, as I forced myself to break that habit, you know, just how how it felt to restrain myself from it and restrain myself. And then one day it was. I was gone, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd uh, restrained myself enough times, enough times, and come to ease with it that it, the habit went away, and so it's the same thing with the habits of mind, the habits that cause our suffering in our minds, they're just mental habits, everything that's causing us to suffer is a mental habit, no different than split ends, biting our fingernails, that's all it is. And with any habit, we can create a new habit. Like I mentioned, you know, the more you swing a hammer, the better you get at you know hammering a nail. The more you do that, or the more you play the piano, the better you get. You know, it the mind's plastic. You know, it's it it has these deep ruts. Like when you become an expert at something, you get this really developed part of the brain. It becomes really developed, becomes very grooved, larger and bigger, and you know, um, and uh, but it's plastic, and so if it's a habit that's not a useful habit, you can retrain it with a better habit. And that's what right intention is. It's creating habits in the mind of bringing, letting go, you know, to be your habit instead of grasping. Um, you know, being kind instead of ill-will. Um, you know, So, so really... Really, it's amazing, that's what's so amazing about this practice, is that we can transform our minds, which seem like um, so set in their ways. They are set in their ways. We've got years of conditioning, years of conditioning. But it's also so plastic, so plastic that just by doing something over and over and over again, we train the mind. You know, um, you know, each moment of mindfulness. Actually, trains the mind to be mindful, and every time we're mindful, we're just building that mindfulness engine, you know. And eventually, you know, uh, uh, it just it comes easy instead of something we work at. Um, so I'd like to just end with um, uh, the um, uh, one of my favorite phrases from the Dhammapada, which again many of you have heard, but it's. Uh, a wonderful uh, little piece um, all experience is preceded by mind led by mind made by mind speak or act with a corrupted mind and suffering follows as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the of the ox All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind, speak or act with a peaceful mind, and happiness follows like a never-departing shadow. So thank you. Let's just sit for one minute.